Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Fun Men About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Rachel Jacobs. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived on Stitcher, iTunes, and right here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to episode 170. We're very happy to be here. It's hot, 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 hot in New York City. That is an understatement. Uh, no, it's cooled down. We had a we had a massive monsoon, mini monsoon this afternoon. It's only seventy eight, but it was ninety two earlier. It's true. Yeah, um, it's definitely affecting my brewing. How about you guys? Yes, definitely. So we're going to talk about that. So let's talk about that now. Let's start with that. All right. So that's it. That's one issue um, for summertime. Is if you don't have temperature control, or even if you do have temperature control, you're usually. Rest- most of us don't have cool boxes or glycol, glycol uh, ferment, uh, cooled um, fermentation Jacket, tanks. Yeah. So, you know, you're dealing with some kind of restrictions regardless. Chris and I have um, a couple of chest freezers that have pretty adequate space, but, you know, everything has its limits. And our apartment's sitting around 85 degrees when I left today. So uh, we definitely have to be very careful about what we keep outside of those temperature-controlled chest freezers. So what can you do? So I kind of wanted to do a review of both beverages that are great to um, ferment in this weather, as well as some basic kind of techniques and equipment that you can purchase or create for yourself so let's start let's start highbrow actually i think that's where we should start all right uh so brew jacket uh for those of you who who have been to national homebrewers conference or if you have a pretty fancy uh homebrew store near you you might have seen these before it's it's made by brew jacket and originally they had a cooling only so this is basically a controlled stick that goes into your fermenter. So if you're using a carboy, um, it basically sits on top of your carboy and the stick hangs down into your carboy. They ha- they've had one for cooling only. It's called immersion. And uh, basically it can. it's great for making lagers in any situation. Um, you can achieve 35 degree below, uh, 35 degrees Fahrenheit or 20 degrees Celsius below ambient and maintain that temperature to within half a degree for as long as this immersion is plugged in. Those are at 299. They uh, have just now. I thought that's ahead. why you're calling it highbrow. And then that answered that. Yes. So meaning highbrow, meaning, you know, more expensive. So obviously this is an investment, but if particularly if you particularly if you're into making loggers and you don't want to deal with you don't have room for a chest freezer in your house or apartment or whatever reason this is a great way to be able to make five gallons of a lager at any given time and there's always the dichotomy where i want to drink light loggers in the summertime but Uh, i can't make light loggers in the summertime unless you have this cold and this is a great way to do it 
without with minimal intervention, um, you would be able to go away for a day or two. You know, it does, you don't have to babysit this thing. This thing works great on its own. They also have them for the cylinder for fermenters as well. Um, they just are coming out in September is an immersion plus pro upgrade it's going to do heating and cooling which is awesome because we live in this old school loft here in williamsburg brooklyn and uh our loft gets to i don't know around 51 degrees ambient temperature in most rooms in the winter and like i said earlier 85 degrees in the summer so we have to find tricks outside it you know besides the temperature controlled chest fears there's little tricks or places that we can keep things warm in the winter and cool in the summer uh so this is a great thing this is going to do heating and cooling so again it can achieve 35 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or 20 degrees Celsius above or below ambient and maintain that temperature within half a degree. That's going to be 369. It's not available yet, but it will be. You can pre-order it now on their website. That's brewjacket.com. Does it have a limit or a minimum of, uh, of liquid? That it can handle. No, that is a good question, and I don't know. I was just wondering that as I was speaking, and I have to look it up. Um, they do have compatible fermenters. Let me look at the list of compatible. Whoa, there's a lot. Uh, so it looks like 6.5 gallon. Is, is, is the minimum? Is the optimal? Is the, is maximum. Okay, maximum. Yeah, they have a whole list. If you go to their website, they have a whole list of um, of uh, fermenters that, they, that they're that these pieces of equipment will work with. So I'd say that's on the higher end. A chest freezer with a with a, a thermoregulator is going to run you... Between... I mean, you can get small chest freezers for as little as, like, 70 bucks on sale a lot of times. Yeah. Um, Our five-cubic-foot f- one from Home Depot was $200, and it came with free delivery. Oh, nice. Which is pretty good. Um, and then you can get... I would recommend a digital controller if you get one they are much more accurate we have um the old kind <laughs> and i hate it it doesn't do very well it doesn't keep the, i have the, the old kind when you yes. did we got digital for the other ones yes um anyway so that's another option obviously chest freezers you can control to pretty much you know any temperature that you want to um i often i also um unplug one of our chest freezers in the winter and you can i use it with a um Grow mat. Yeah, a grow mat, which is also temperature controlled. So a grow mat is basically like a plastic heating pad. A large, it's larger than your standard heating pad that you use, you know, for your back or whatever. It's usually for plants, right? To grow seedlings, um, and in, in, you know, many greenhouses. Um, and it also has its own thermoregulator. So I purchased both of those items off Amazon. I don't remember how much they ran. I think I want to say like sixty bucks total or something, sixty or seventy, somewhere in that range. And that's great because I can stick that in there. I also can stick a uh, five five or six gallon better bottle. I actually fill it with water and put a brew belt on it, and I use that to also increase the ambient temperature. Um, if you're not doing something with hops, if, or if you're dealing with carboy, you know, solid buckets or carboys that you you know you cover with a dark t-shirt you can also use a a light bulb to heat up your chest your unplugged chest freezer uh in the winter so like if you had a chest freezer in the garage and that was where you're fermenting your garage gets super cold in the winter that's a way you know that you could do reverse that you could keep temperatures a little bit warmer okay so let's go to another piece of equipment that's definitely uh more affordable as well as very low tech. There's something called like the Cool Brew, yeah, the Cool Brewing Insulated Fermentation Bag. I saw this for the first time three or four years ago, I guess, at the National Homebrewers Conference, and this is basically a giant soft side cooler that has a zipper at the top, and it accommodates um, 
this is actually the second generation. So it can accommodate 6.56 or 5-gallon fermenters. Um, basically, you freeze two-liter soda bottles, and you use those to maintain the temperature. They've designed it so that, um, let's see, for a typical 5-gallon batch, one frozen 2-liter bottle of water should lower wort temperature around 5 degrees, and then you could use 2 2-liter two bottles will lower wort temperature around 11, 11 degrees for 24 to 36 hours. So obviously, again, this is going to depend on the ambient temperature of your apartment or house or garage or wherever you keep your, your fermentables. Um, but that's also that's a less expensive piece of equipment. It also stores pretty pretty flat. I mean, this thing is, it's like a big soft-sided cooler, and you can get those at most um, most of your homebrew supply stores. Then another way you can do it is by creating a water bath. So you basically are going to get any kind of plastic container. You can get a big plastic bin um, or tub at your, you know, local big box store um, or hardware store, and you're going to basically fill that with water. Make sure that it's big enough to fit your desired carboy or pail or bucket. Uh, you're going to fill that with cold water. You want to do that a third full with cold tap water. Um, and then you are going to uh, make sure that you're basically you want that water to be chilled to the same temperature as um, where you want to pitch your yeast. So if you're aiming for a 68 degree fermentation temperature, you know, obviously the fermentation will create energy and heat. So you want to... Um, keep it at, I don't know, I'd put it at like 62 to 64 degrees. And then basically using ice, you can manipulate that temperature. So water is acting like an insider, insulator, just like a styrofoam cooler or refrigerator, anything like that. It's not only um, preventing the, the it's kind of is dis dispersing the heat that your fermentation is creating um, into the water. It's absorbing that, but it's also preventing the outs, the ambient temperature in your uh, house from basically, you know, creating, uh, causing your fermentation to give it higher. So it's absorbing on both sides. Um, and, you know, it might take you a little while to get, it's, it's obviously going to depend on how active your fermentation is, what size of container you're using. Um, but if you monitor it, then you should be able to actually maintain a pretty decent temperature with, with minimal work. Again, you could do it with ice, but the other way is you could get a bunch of, um, you know, like 10 or 12 ounce water bottles, fill those with water, stick them in your freezer, and you could just switch those out. And that should be enough to keep your temperature down. I think those are the that's. And like, we've talked about that before with doing the opposite for kettle souring. Where we we'll do water baths and just yeah. keep heating, keep exchanging that water with hot water. So it's the same. Exactly, same deal. exactly. And you could use that. So right with kettle souring. Um, so where you want to maintain a temperature of you know somewhere between 105 and 115 degrees, you could do the same thing. I like to use aquarium um, heaters. Yes, aquarium heaters. I found two on Amazon that don't have that go higher than, than your average aquarium heater, do that. And then I just would rack out some of the water and, um, and, and add some boiling water. And I was able to keep pretty constant, you know, range, depending where I wanted, between 105 and 115, doing that, uh, adding boiling water twice before I went to work and when I got home from work with no problem. I have a question. When you, with your very first homebrew, how did you, how did you cool, cool your work? A heist bath, of course, in my okay. sink. <laughs> well, and also, you my first batch was there. extract, so I think I ended up adding, you know, cold filtered water. Oh, interesting. That's the nice thing about using extract, or a lot of times, even when I do all grain, I, I might, you know... Brew big and Yes, and exactly, cool. and dilute with cold water. Cause in city, especially in the summer, a lot of times, I mean, our tap water 
there's a lot of things, but if you want, we're talking minimal equipment here, you know, minimal investment. Um, and, and most of the time, our the cold water coming out, out of our tap is fine. It's just in the heat of summer, it's not as cold. So I don't need to have special equipment the majority of the time. I know that people who live in warmer climates like Florida or California or Arizona, um, anywhere around the world that it's hot, a lot of times they, their tap water doesn't get as cold. So you might have to use something else. Another thing I would do is just run the tubing um, of my... of. I use a wart chiller now, so I'd run the, the end tubing through an ice bath. So I'll just coil it all up and stick it in a an ice bath, and that can help a little bit get your your temperatures down. Or otherwise, I'll just brew a slightly stronger, um, higher gravity wort, um, less of it. So if I'm five gallons, I might brew four gallons, and then I'll compensate with a gallon of, of ice cold water that's filtered. So what? Those calculations are pretty easy to do. <laughs> yes, yeah. I always to, to you know. find your target gravity. Yeah, you exactly. Take, take your overall. Uh, or if you don't care, like I do, exactly <laughs> what you know, what your OG. I'm most just saying of the it's time. not. It's not. A, I mean, you can do it scientifically to get to, to yeah. get your. I think there's actually. Uh, it's pretty easy. To you do. should be able to find a, um, a ca- an online calculator yeah. to do the exact same thing. I think that's what I always use is an online calculator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about if you don't want to deal with that. So your your brute. Also, I got to say. Like I said, our apartment's 85 degrees, and our kitchen has no... We have no air conditioning in the entire apartment outside of our bedroom. Um, So I don't want to brew beer in the summer. I mean, I've done it before, but it sucks. Um, And I think a lot of people are the same way, especially if you're in an urban environment like New York City, and you don't have central air. Um, Air conditioning's expensive, and it's a pain. Um, So a lot of times, I'll brew things that, that aren't beer. One of my favorite things to brew in the summer is SEMA. That's a fermented lemonade I've, you've, if you've listened to the show you've heard me talk about it before it's probably my favorite summer beverage oh, it's definitely it's one of mine I mean, delicious. Lot, yeah. <laughs> so it's basically uh, lemonade it's all natural it's uh, lemon juice I usually uh, add some lemon peel in there just to give it a little bit of the oils you want to avoid too much of the pith um, so fresh squeeze some lemons you could mix it up and do lemon lime and or grapefruit and or orange um, add sugar you could use white sugar if you want a cleaner taste um, or something like panella or uh, jaggery sugar. Those are both both less processed or unprocessed sugars that you can usually find in international stores. Uh, So if you have a grocery store that has a good international section or you have a uh, grocery store, Indian grocery store, Latin American grocery store, they'll usually have less processed sugars. Um, I don't recommend brown sugar. Brown sugar is actually sugar that's been processed and then molasses has been added back to it. So these are actual unprocessed uh, or less processed sugars. And they do they work really well and they can give you a little bit more flavor um, than a white sugar. I use organic white sugar uh, that I buy in bulk at Costco. It's very affordable there. Um, and then champagne yeast. Champagne yeast is your friend in warm weather. Um, a lot of times... A lot of the, the beer yeast that we know and love will throw off a lot of unpleasant or not as desirable um, off flavors and aromas. I had a Belgian triple that I made several years ago, um, and I had a gr- I had a pretty stable cellar at the time where I was um, keeping my beers, but we had a heat wave, and sure enough, the basement got a little bit hot, and that beer was nicknamed the Big Banana, because it threw off a ton of banana 
um, phenolic, you know, estery <laughs> profile. But with some age, it actually what? tasted really yeah, good. Yeah, it was <laughs> delicious, <laughs> but I... It had yeah. to condition a while. It was yes. a little strong in the, in the beginning. Yeah, I had to hang on to that sucker for a while before it didn't taste like the big banana. <laughs> um, it wasn't as banana as Wells. Wells uh, no, no, banana, banana, banana bread. Beer. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Banana. Which is um, good. Just like, well, that was purposefully banana, though. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, Touché. And then I always use a little bit of beer yeast nutrient. So whatever you do, any of these sugar-based beverages, use a little bit of beer yeast nutrient. You could also uh, do this with honey or some other kind of sugar source. Basically, you can ferment any kind of fruit juice that has sugar in it. Um, You can always supplement with sugar. If you buy some of the concentrates, um, you might need to cut those down. So you want to take gravity before so you have an idea of what's going in. And... um, and just stay away from serious preservatives. A little bit of citric acid is okay, but any of the sorbates or anything like that, those are put in there basically to prevent fermentation and spoilage. So they will slow down or prevent the fermentation that you want to have happen in order to turn your sugar into alcohol. Um, so those are some of my favorite beverages to make during summer. Ooh, also the SEMA. I like to make fruit SEMA, so I'm a huge fan of freeze-dried fruit. I get it at Trader Joe. It's a Trader Joe's. It's a little pricey, but it packs a huge punch, so you really don't need very much. I like the freeze-dried strawberries. Freeze-dried raspberries are also delicious. Um, strawberry SEMA is probably... That's That probably is my favorite beverage to make in the summer. So I would say even just adding one packet of the uh, Trader Joe's freeze-dried strawberries, which is around, I think it's around 1.2, 1.3 ounces um, in a three-gallon batch will give you a lot of color and some really nice strawberry um, aroma and flavor. Oh, yeah. I actually made one with fresh strawberries. It it was mostly water um, in fresh strawberries, but it it did still have like a a strawberry taste. It definitely is a, it's pink. Yeah. So you can always use fresh, but the freeze-dried are really easy, and they pack a big punch. Really, any fruit that you have to see, but it's just going to make it more delicious. Uh, The other thing I like to do is ferment tea in the summer. So again, I just make a sweet tea out of pretty much anything. You want to avoid things that have a ton of tannins, although if you like tannins, that will give you um, some... It does give you some balance. Um, So herbal tea, you might want to add a packet or two of green tea to get that tannin to balance out the sweetness. But again, you know, you're just making your typical sweet tea that you would drink, and instead of drinking it, hit it with some champagne yeast and beer yeast nutrient and let it go. It's delicious and refreshing. Yeah, I like that jasmine tea. And the coconut lemongrass green tea. That's one of Mm -hmm. my favorites. Um, Again, all of these things will go. The one thing you want to be careful of with sugar-based beverages. Also, I will mention that um, I do have exact recipes in my book, Speed Brewing. um, And I've since... There's a lot... Anything... If it has sugar in it, you can ferment it, as long as it doesn't have a lot of preservatives. That's the rule here. Um, Champagne is quick. It's clean. It tolerates low pHs as well as high temperatures. Um, Where was I going to go with this? I don't know. I just sneezed. Gesundheit. Thank you. I was talking about the tea. (laughs) Yes. Oh, all of these things that sugar, unless you stop the fermentation at some point, they will go to... Yeah. They will eat... That champagne yeast will work its way through every sugar, and you're going to end up with a very dry beverage that has less flavor. Now, if you like really dry beverages, that's awesome. But typically what I do is I stop it around 10.08. I like to cold crash, and then I bottle either into um, brown, those amber PET bottles, or I keg and force carbonate it and then just keep it cold. So, again, if you're using plastic bottles, you could even use flip-top glass bottles if you're careful. Um, I would recommend those that are rated for carbonated beverage, like the Grolsch bottles. Um, 
again, you know, you can and set those out. The uh, plastics are great because you can tell it's going to continue to ferment since it's not at terminal gravity. So if you set them out for 12 to 36 hours, you're going to be able to feel if it's carbonated. As soon as it's carbonated, as soon as that plastic is taut, go ahead and throw them in cold and then, you know, drink them in a relatively timely manner. Even if you're going to carbonate in flip tops, any of these beverages that have not hit their terminal gravity, if you carbonate them in, in flip tops, Go ahead and carbonate one in an old water bottle so that at least you can tell when it's carbonated. That's really good uh, advice, actually. Anyway, these are all, all these sugar-based beverages are very clean. They, you know, again, the, sh- the champagne yeast tolerates high temperatures, so it won't throw off a lot of off flavors or things, even if it's, you know, banana is not necessarily an off flavor in every beverage, but you might not want tons of it in your, <laughs> in your uh, American IPA. Uh, so just keep in mind... Um, Champagne yeast, sugar, and then flavor. They can also be made in, you know, as little as 10 minutes. Um, and they could take, you know, as little as four days to ferment, depending on your temperatures. And depending on your taste and uh, how much alcohol you want in there. Yep. And how much sweetness. And how, your, and how hot your apartment is. So the moral of the story is to brew a lot in spring, brew alternative ferment, ferments in summer. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of alternative ferments, uh, I'd like to take this moment to uh, remind our listeners of this uh, Pruno contest that we have. Uh, we encourage all listeners and their friends and family to uh, make Pruno, a batch of Pruno, which is a prison wine, which is basically a, an alcohol made from anything you can think you can get in a prison. Some fresh fruit, uh, canned fruits, uh, ketchup packets, dried fruit very often. And I will put some recipes. I have not made my pruno yet, I'll admit. But I'm going to put some recipes on my blog mylifeoncraft.com this week. I will make myself do it. So uh, yeah, I already had a couple of people who have uh, made some pruno and uh, to some success it was drinkable. So I think that that's a a success when it comes to uh, prison wine. And if the uh, goal is to get very drunk, then uh, any alcohol will do. So remember to just make sure that there's something with sugar in it and something with uh, that will collect yeast, or if you want to, I think we are. We're, gonna, allowing, we're allowing, for, yeah, we're allowing for, uh, dry yeast. yeast. Yeah, mm-hmm. for any dry yeast, and uh, it should be able to uh, ferment, and you will have yourself, especially in this weather, a good, uh, good prison wine in a couple of days. And what we would love, so if you want to participate, we would love to hear from you. So tweet at us, Instagram at us, um, send email us an us. email at. We're all ferment about it for all of those things. And when is the show? What date is the show? Uh, August 11th. August 11th. So if we would love to hear from you, um, we're going to invite you guys to call in. Or if you'd like to just shoot us an email, we can read your email out over the, the air, whatever. But we're excited. Oh, yeah. And if you're in Brooklyn or if you're in uh, New York City, we could uh, maybe interview you or something in person. That's true. You could come into the studio with us. Oh, yeah. yeah. Come on. Big old prison party. All right. So we do have to address before we have some pre, pre, pre-tapes from Leftover from the National Homebrewer that were f- Homebrewers Conference that we're finally going to play today. And it's more fun accessories for your brewing needs. Yes. That I desperately want. But anyway, we have to address. So a few weeks ago, we had Rob Handel on and he was talking about making capers, um, mock capers, mock capers with unripe elderberries. So somebody had tweeted at us that elderberry, unripe elderberries are poisonous. And that is true. They do. They can. It's going to depend on the variety of elderberry, but they do. But most of them uh, contain yeah. um, uh, cyanide. Yeah. Well, they, so they contain, hydrogen uh, cyanide. Well, they contain um, 
glycoside, which turns into, into cyanide when it's metabolized in the body, when it's digested, rather. Right. So we want to address that because we did look it up and actually fermentation, basically the key is fermenting. So you don't want to, to um, drink a lot of elderberry juice or uh, roots are particularly poisonous and then the unripe fruit as well. Right. Um, basically anything in this plant except for the berries are poisonous. Yeah. Um, apparently there's been a lot of um, documented uh, problems with people drinking teas made from the leaves. Uh, so don't do that. But... Um, but elderberries, along with a lot of other kinds of fruits um, and many other kinds of uh, foods that we eat regularly, actually are poisonous unless you cook them. Um, one example is cassava. Uh, another example is uh, the fermented shark meat, where that's uh, actually highly toxic unless it is fermented. Yep. So I'm in it. One of the we have I have two sources. So first is NordicFoodLab.org. That's N-O-R-D-I-C FoodLab.org. I'm just going to read this because they have a great recipe for um, elderflower. Oh. <laughs> no, not for cyanide. <laughs> elderflower and elderberry vinegar. Um, and so they have a whole thing of this vinegar safe. So basically, they talk about Rachel mentioned cassava. So cassava has one of the highest concentrations of cyanogenic glycosides, and it's often the cause of massive food poisonings in regions with drought or famine. Cassava products are harmful mostly in these moments because people are consuming it immediately before it is properly processed. Um, so it's, you know, it says the root should always be cooked after being previously soaked and fermented. The fermentation lowers the pH and therefore also the potential release of cyanide from the glycosides. There was a study, there have been several studies actually that were done on cassavas. Now, um, to give you a little bit of background, this is what Rachel mentioned. Glycosides are molecules that include a sugar and another functional group. In the case of cyanogenic glycosides, the functional group is partly composed of a molecule of cyanide. So they're concentrated in vacuoles, which are these small bubbles that are distributed throughout the cytoplasm of the cell. So when the cell is harmed, like when you cut into it or bite into it, um, the bubbles break and the cyanogenic glycosides are released into the cytoplasm of the cell, that's the gel in the cell, where they can react with enzymes that will break the bond between the sugar molecule and the functional group. Then that becomes free cyanide and it can... That's when it can... That's when it can get into your bloodstream and act as regular cyanide. Exactly. So, obviously, the, cy the cyanogenic uh, glycosides are slightly different in elderberries than cassava, but there's actually been a study done on elderberry fruit. It was done by a guy named Eugen Eugenius Porgorzelski, and it was published in the Journal of the Science of Food and Agricultural in April 1982. It's called Formation of Cyanide as a Product of Decomposition of Cyanogenic Glucosides in the Treatment of Elderberry Fruit, Sambicus nigra. So basically they found that um, after fermentation, the hydrogen cyanide in the fruit was greatly diminished. So fermentation does seem to be a very safe way to either decrease or diminish the cyanide in unripe elderberries. Right. That being said, uh, just don't go around eating unripe elderberries or regular elderberries for that matter off uh, off elderberry trees. And you, you would not. Yeah, you wouldn't want a quick pickle. So you do want a true fermentation. Right. With the, uh, the bacteria breaking it down rather mm -hmm. than like a salt brine. No elderberry half sours. No, that's right. <laughs> no elderberry half sours. But that's a good. So if we ever, you know, we love to hear from you guys. Yeah, Chris, so you got anything to add? 
Nope. I like elderberries when they're fermented, and I don't want to die. I do think that uh, the amount of mysteries that you watch, there happens to be a lot of cyanide in those shows. And I, is that a sign? Is that like that's because it was an like easily yes, easily right. available. So I watch a lot of British mysteries, <laughs> old school British mysteries. It's true, and uh, cyanide was an easily accessible poison back in the day. So it's like, pretty easy. Uh, I don't find myself know. in too many situations where I see a lot of cyanide. Well, no, we don't anymore. Cyanide in uh, apple, uh, in true. apple seeds, and also in uh, all. Of the stone fruit seeds there's a trace amounts of uh, arsenic so if you ate like a lot of apple seeds like a lot of apple seeds um you would die of cyanide probably get yeah pretty sick so crazy well we're gonna take a really 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 quick break and then we're (laughs) gonna come back with a couple uh pre-taped episodes from our experience at the national adventures in the nhc yeah that's right Hello out there, it's Steve Jenkins. I'm with Fairway Markets. White Leghorn, Red Wattle, Bourbon Red, Navajo Churro. Well, these aren't names you're likely to hear at a Fairway butcher counter or any other counter today, but before the rise of factory farming, you would have. And at Heritage Foods USA, you still do. Heritage Foods USA exists to promote genetic diversity, small family farms, and a fully traceable food supply. You see, we believe the best way to help a family farmer is to buy from them. And Heritage Foods is honored to represent a network of family farmers and artisanal producers whose work presents an immeasurable gift to our food system and to biodiversity. The meat we celebrate, whether it's Heritage Turkey, Japanese Steaks, Berkshire Pork, or Navajo Churro Lamb Chops is the righteous kind from healthy animals of sound genetics that have been treated humanely and allowed to pursue their natural instincts. It's a simple fact. Animals raised according to this philosophy taste better. And as we like to say, you have to eat them to save them. Visit us at HeritageFoodsUSA.com for more information. Welcome back to episode 170 of Foment About It. We are half an hour into the show, but we're just getting started with our with chapter two of, of today's show, which is a couple of recaps from uh, some things we've found and, and learned and enjoyed at the National Brewers Conference this year that we have not been able to play just yet. Um, we're going to go right into them. Let's do it. I am on the expo floor with Rex Slagle of the Brew Bag. You guys are located in Plainville, Illinois. So you guys... so. Obviously, regular listeners of this program know that I've only done Brew in a Bag since 2011. I'm a huge advocate for it. I have a sewing machine, so I've made, I have like five different brew bags at home. But you guys make a really high-quality bag. So talk a little bit more. It'd be great to have another perspective for a Brew in a Bag. Tell me a little bit about your angle. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Brew Bag was born conceptually because I had a mash tun that I got for Christmas. I was about to launch into all grain. I had my equipment all set up. I got it for my kids for Christmas. And... Uh, I went downstairs to put all the hardware together, and I couldn't. It didn't fit properly, so I went back upstairs and started researching other methods of brewing, and came across brewing a bag. So I started looking for a bag, but I couldn't find one that met my expectations, and so I too made my own. <laughs> and when I started using it, other brewers said, "Where did that come from? Where did you get that?" Blah blah blah. And I ended up making a few for some other guys, 
uh, and one thing led to another, and so that's how the brew bag was born. But conceptually, the, the, the point of using a bag is it's really just a filter. And if you look at it from that perspective, that it is just a filter, it changes the processes ahead of getting the wort into the boil kettle. And what that means is, so instead of brewing with your equipment limitations in mind, meaning you know everything is done ahead of the uh, extraction based on will it drain? Do I get a stuck sparge? We've all been taught that grind at 35 or 40 or 50, mash at 125 to 1.50 quarts per pound, and then you won't get a stuck sparge and you'll be happy and everybody's going to have a good day. But we're going to flip that on the other end and say, start with optimization in mind. Grind your grain in anticipation of its potential extraction and then use this filter and you'll never ever have a stuck sparge you will reduce your grain usage, you will increase your efficiency, your brew day drops, drops from six or six and a half hours to three and a half hours, uh, and you get to drink beer sooner and relax a little more, and you get to spend less money and use less grain and get the same beer or better. That's the whole story. One of the key components of the brew bag is using the same bag that you use to brew with as your hop bag. So effectively what you want to do is Rinse your bag after you use it for your grain, right? Turn it inside out, rinse it a few times, turn it right side out, and find something to spread the bag open with. I made a really simple 3 8 inch copper uh, tube spreader that I just simply made to the you know, inner diameters of the kettle. I pounded the end shut after I curled it up on the end so it doesn't poke so the like bag. A Not a circle. It's actually like a, it's just a, a, a piece of pipe that I curled on the ends oh, okay. up, right? right? Okay. Sort of a, a half U if that's what you want to call yep. it. I put two of those together, made an X out of them, and wired them together with copper wire. Uh, And I dropped that into my brew bag so it keeps the bag completely open. And I attach it to the pulley. I drop it into the boil kettle so it's completely suspended. It doesn't touch the bottom. And effectively, the hops then uh, react to the turbulence of the water as they would normally if there was no bag in place. So instead of putting your hops in a hop sock or a hop bag and having them being constricted or constrained without that turbulent action that allows the isomerization to occur, you get a more full utilization because they act as if there's no filter in the kettle at all, right? So you, you, you literally can, can optimize the whole process, including grain and hops, without putting true into the kettle. All you end up with is hot break, uh, which allows you to lose a plate chiller, which is the most effective heat transfer system that we know of, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That's why all that stuff works. Also, now, do you could you do you do keep that suspended with a pulley over your your brew kettle? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so be, you could use it for hot bursting, for instance. Well, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to encourage nano brewers or, you know, any sort of brew pub guys to use this thing in their, uh, in their system, 30-gallon, 40-gallon, whatever it is, whatever system you have, because... You know, those guys, even though they whirlpool, right, to cone the hops and do all that, and they use that as an effective utilization technique, ultimately what they're trying to do is keep the hub, the hops out of the beer, right, out of the wort. But they lose whatever, 5, 6, 7, 10, 20 gallons, depending on how big the system is, to the hops because they can't get it out, right? So if they use the filtration system that's suspended just like this, all that comes back to them in saleable, right, 12-ounce beers on the counter, it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars in retail sales that they're missing because they can't get it out of the hops, right? And so this filter allows them to do exactly that. And we've made filters for a 1,200-gallon bright tank. We've made it for 100-gallon conicals. We've made them for 
55-gallon drums all day long. They absolutely work. They're very effective, incredibly strong, 400 pounds they can lift. Um, they just work. Awesome. And how do, you, how do people get your, the brew bag? Just go to brewinabag.com. Uh, and uh, you'll see that we've got five, six different stock sizes. We ship the same day or next day by 1030 in the morning. Uh, and uh, we certainly make custom bags every day of the week almost. Um, if there's something that's oversized or even a different application for that matter, folks in the coffee industry are using our bag. We didn't know it, right? So cold brew coffee yes, is now yes. one of our, our client bases. Um, and we, in fact, have developed a new fabric. I shouldn't develop, but we're, we're, we're going to be making bags out of a new fabric, particularly aimed at the coffee industry. That's a 63 micron fabric. What we currently use is 210 microns. Uh, and so we'll be approaching that industry as soon as we get the fabric in place and Very making cool. that happen as well. It, it, it's it's huge. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it started with commercial brewers yeah. uh, in New York. Maybe you know Toby's Estate Coffee. Yes, they were our very first customer awesome. for our bags, and we didn't know that that's what they were using it for. Yeah. We thought they were home brewers having their bags shipped to their business. Uh, so after the third order, I called them and said, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> right? And they were like, dude, we use, it for, we use it for coffee. And so then the light bulb went off. That's awesome. We, do, we, have, we keep uh, cold brew coffee on Nitro Draft at home. Yeah. So, and I've been thinking about using a bag, but yeah. haven't, so I'm very interested when you come out with your yeah, bag. Yeah. So. Well, these work. They're 210 micron. They work for coffee, but we got some 63 and some 47 micron bags made, and we sent them to coffee makers, cold brew coffee guys, and said, give us some feedback. The 63 micron bag one hands down over the 47 uh, drains a little faster uh, and the sediment differential was inconsequential to, to what they were doing so the 63 micron fabric is, is what we're after now it's very very hard to get I, and I'm not saying that from a sales perspective yeah, of trying to protect no. it but as you go down in microns you go up in price um, and we finally have found some fabric or a manufacturer that is reasonably priced so we can now sell these uh, coffee bags in the same range 30 to 40 dollars depending on the size not anything more than that, which makes it affordable for everybody. And they just last and last and last. So. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to meet you. That's right. I'm excited about uh, doing some 63 Micron bags. Dang it. I'm definitely reaching out. Uh, and I also, I do, I do agree that it's nice to, to yield a little more beer. Uh, you know, when we're brewing on a bigger system, it's not, it's not a huge deal losing, you know, five or 10 gallons uh, at the end of a 15 barrel whirlpool uh, to hop substrate uh, but every little bit counts every ounce counts and especially on a lower level and especially with the way hopping rates are these days like you all that matter soaks up a lot of beer uh, so any way to kind of yield get better yields and clarity uh, is, is is good stuff and i think that uh bags are groovy for that on to the next I'm at the National Homebrewers Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm at the Blickman Engineering booth with Doug Grandland, and you guys have an exciting new product called Quick Carb, which is of particular interest to me because I am always a last-minute quick carbonation kind of girl. So tell, tell, tell us how this works. Well, this is going to save you from shaking that keg back and forth and, yes. and trying to get it carbonated, and you're going to have some control doing it this way. So we just, we're just releasing this. It'll be on the market in about six weeks. Um, and if you start off, uh, it's designed to be set up with a corny keg. You've got your standard ball lock connectors. You're in and out. And you've got a pump here in line. And once you get these connected up, it's going to pull through the outlet side and return through the inlet side. It's going to pull it through the pump. And as it goes through the pump, we got the T-fitting here with a carb stone inside. This hose here will be, go out to your uh, CO2 tank. 
and uh, we've got a little chart here that comes with it. The chart, what you're interested in finding out is the temperature of your beer. Based on the temperature of your beer is what you want to set your carb pressure at. So you find the temperature of your beer, set your carb <clears throat> pressure up, <clears throat> start the recirculation, start your CO2. You'll see the uh, CO2 start coming out on the outlet side of the, the T here going back in. You'll do a recirculation for about 45 minutes to an hour, and you'll get your beer 90% carbonated in less than an hour, hour or less. That is so, awesome. Ready to go. That is awesome. No shaking. <laughs> now, Arms aren't tired yes. when you're done. You and you, can know, even, you, and can you know exactly even, where you're getting. And you know exactly what you're getting. Based on the chart, you set it up right, you know your, your beer is where it should be. So, so is, is this a matter of, like, if you have a colder beer, obviously, usually takes less time, like, if you're doing the quick shake. Yeah. Is it going to be the same amount of time, yes. and you're just putting less CO2? Uh, yes. Yeah, okay. just, you're just changing the pressure okay. based right. on the temperature so you don't overcarb. Okay, awesome. So, yeah. so tell us again, this is going to be available in about six weeks, and yeah, what is it going to retail for? Uh, it's and where re- can people get it? Uh, you can go to any uh, Blickman retailer. We'll be carrying this. Uh, we will announce it to our retailers in a few weeks here so they can get it on their shelves. Uh, and, and they should be ready in about six weeks. Uh, it should retail for uh, $179 uh, for the unit. So. I know what I'm getting for the next <laughs> occasion where I deserve a gift. Thank you so much, okay. Doug. Thanks it was a pleasure meeting by. you. It was a pleasure meeting you, too. Let's be very clear about something right now. Mary's arms are very rarely tired when her beverages are being carbonated. That's true. I sell I your beer with enjoy, Mary. That's right. But still, we're usually trying to do five gazillion things at the same time while we're carbonating. Um, yes. Our kegs. Anyway, I am excited about the quick carb. It is available now. I think it's been available. It was started shipping for retailers on July 13th. Now, one of the things that we think about is that, you know, when you have a very hoppy beer and you have a lot of volatiles that you don't want to disturb your beer too much, but you always have to carbonate anyway. And some of the concern has been like, okay, well, if you're recirculating through this, through this system and, uh, and, and just just upsetting it and you know you're, you're getting turbidity in there and like you want to when you're carbonating you want to do it under pressure and keep those the the aromas in there and that's the thing it's a closed circuit so it should it should be fine and it is fine and and uh, uh the jury's still out we don't have one but. this has been a debate between chris and i by the way i believe you well, lose nothing I, I do too. It's not a debate between us. It's just a concern that people. It's not just me talking about it. By the way, <laughs> I, I, I mean I think actually because it's in a closed circuit, I think it should be totally fine. And also, we're not we're only doing it for forty five minutes, and there's a thing. I think that it's more important for, or more of a concern with 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 hoppy beers than 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 for other beers. And with anything like this, you're gonna. I mean, you're not gonna necessarily want to drink it right after because. The turbidity, it just, oh, I'll be upset. I mean, every, everything benefits from some conditioning. But if you start but with if clear a, beer, right, you're fine. Right, if you already racked it off of a lot of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, if anybody else has any comments on uh, this carbonation debate, uh, <laughs> tweet at us or send us an email. <laughs> but first of all, Blickman, though, is a brand to be trusted, no doubt, in, in the homebrewing scene. And, Dude, I'm like, totally all getting the stuff one. They do. Oh, I know. Next time you deserve a gift, trust me. I <laughs> that might great. be tonight. No. <laughs> it's like 97 degrees. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so that is it for tonight's episode. Good luck dealing with the heat wherever you are. Um, it's perfect Pruno weather. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling trapped, are you feeling imprisoned? Like Pruno. <laughs> oh, we will yeah. be back. Actually, we'll be back 
from pre-record. We're going to next week. Um, I'm actually speaking at the Westchester's Homebrewers Organization, Westchester Homebrewers Organization, the WHO, on um, shortcut sours, trouble-free tart beers. That's right, and I'll be chauffeuring somebody to Westchester that night, so I can. Be. That's true. Um, <laughs> so we are going to have some pre-tape. We're going to go around and visit a bunch of our guests, local guests that have been on the show before. So I look forward to getting updates from them and sharing that, them with you next Monday on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The Joe Pro series. For men about it. For men about it over here. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Wall with no end on the banks of forgiveness. You clutch to your burden. Her waters are